0: book two chapter eight of the new idealism by mason clare this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine book two reconstruction of idealism chapter eight difficulties and objections section one the challenge i said idealism must be proof against all attacks based on the behavior of the world of physical things the challenge to the idealist if you remember was to frame his theory so that its terms will be at once a better description and a better explanation of the facts better that is to say than realism's account of them to quote professor broad again any alternative hypothesis about the real will have to rest its probability entirely on its ability to explain the perceived the implication being that you cannot do this in terms of perception. The idealist contention is that you cannot do this by leaving perception out. We have seen what difficulties and contradictions arise from the realist theory of unminded space-time, unminded categories, unminded objects and events, and from the theory of the real counterpart. We found that the facts could be so restated in terms of consciousness as to avoid these difficulties and contradictions and that so far idealism offered a better description and explanation yet it must have remained apparent that idealism has at least two sides open to attack one its alleged fundamental assumption that being and being known are the same and again the relation of mind to its body the plain fact that consciousness appears to be dependent on nerves and cerebral cortex. The first line of attack is based on the self-evidence of the contrary. Being and being known are not the same. The processes of the cosmos are not the processes of thought. And you have not explained anything when you have said that somebody knows it. Not even when you have said that God knows it. I shall take up this objection last. For the defense will rest mainly on the distinction between primary and secondary consciousness which will be dealt with in the two following chapters meanwhile it must be admitted that the crux for idealism is the relation between mind and body section two the crux idealism assumes that all objects of perception together with their spaces and their times are the content of consciousness and dependent on it now the body is an object of consciousness to idealism it is a content of consciousness and dependent on it but in actual experience consciousness appears as dependent on the body no sense-organ no sensum no cerebral cortex no thought in recent experiments made by dr head the correspondence has been found to be so close that certain discriminations between sensa between degrees in the same kind of sensum heat cold pain intensities of color and sound taste and smell certain rejections and selections which we might suppose to be the work of consciousness are in reality performed very efficiently by the sensory nerves themselves they have picked out their own sensa even before their junction at the synapses similarly the synthesis of sensations has been completed at the synapses before there is any question of the cerebral cortex and perception for all these operations the help of consciousness is not needed the appropriate nervous apparatus with its up and down lines and its junctions is at once a transport system a sorting house and clearing station of sensations before ever the terminus of the cortex has been reached the work of consciousness has been done for it everything has been accounted for except consciousness itself it has nothing to do but take a back seat and look on at the spectacle provided for it by the sense organs at first sight there is something very staggering in this discovery of dr heads and yet it is no more than might be expected once you have recognized that there is correspondence between our sensations and the neural processes in our bodies the correspondence was once thought to be general it is found to be particular to hold good of the minutest differences that is all there is no more difficulty for idealism in admitting a special neural process for a special intensity of heat or pain than in admitting different neural processes for sound and color the trouble is having to admit a correspondence at all if that correspondence is to be interpreted as causal connection if consciousness of things is caused by neural process then consciousness is dependent on neural process and things cannot be dependent on consciousness and if consciousness simply looks on at an outside spectacle it will not matter to it a rap whether that spectacle is provided by neural processes by the direct behavior of the things or by the behavior of the things and neural processes combined so that at first sight the realist seems safe and the idealist very badly hit but if the objection is to hurt it must assume not only that the correspondence is a causal one but that the idealist supposes the dependence of content upon consciousness to be a causal dependence too when the idealist position will be this consciousness is an effect whose cause is change in a body whose cause is consciousness thus we have a vicious circle mind is both the cause and the effect of its own body now the consciousness we are considering as linked up with bodily processes is a purely finite consciousness a consciousness limited to a certain kind and order of experience in which bodily states play an exceedingly important part that experience, therefore, will include bodily states as part of the content of consciousness. Idealism regards this role of the body as played within mind in the mind's own theater of space and time. It may even regard the body as being built up cell by cell by the psyche for its own purposes according to its need. But, in the first place, it does not regard the finite self as the ultimate cause of its own consciousness to idealism the body is nothing but a complex of sensa like other sensa in finite consciousness but finite consciousness itself is not the cause of its appearance there and if there is no causal dependence of the body on finite consciousness there is no vicious circle but neither is the body the cause of consciousness on any theory it is not possible to show any causal connection between the sensa and the motions of external molecules or between neural processes inside the body and the sensum or percept outside it or between percept and perceiving subject much less between molecules and mind dr head's experiments still leave it clear as he tells us plainly that the act of sensing is not neural but psychic what is more neither external molecular motion nor neural processes and these are all the physical factors which can conceivably be concerned in the result are ever in consciousness at all so that even if a causal connection existed one way or other finite consciousness is not being invited to swallow up its own origin or serve both as the cause and the effect of itself and the crux of idealism reduces itself to this the sense organs and their neural processes are in the body which is in space-time, which is in consciousness. Yet their presence or their absence makes such a difference to consciousness that without them consciousness as we know it cannot be. Can idealism describe or explain this relation in terms which will not do violence either to itself or to the facts? The problem is still difficult enough in all conscience, even if much of the difficulty disappears when it is agreed that the relation is not causal. The theory of psychophysical parallelism expressly states that the relation is not causal that there is no bridge from the one parallel line to the other it leaves its parallels running till the death of the neural processes ends the parallelism for good and all if we do not adopt parallelism and there are grave metaphysical objections and some psychophysical ones to that course we must look for the cause of the correspondence elsewhere than in the mind alone or the body alone and if we call in causality we are committed to that total configuration of the universe the system of all embracing relations for which we found ultimate consciousness to be the only adequate expression the position of idealism then is that all objects and events that do not exist in finite consciousness exist in ultimate consciousness of which finite consciousness is a part spatio-temporal objects and events which are not known in the space-time of finite consciousness are known in the space-time of ultimate consciousness molecular motions and neural processes are such events therefore when the idealist agrees that molecular motions and neural processes make a difference to the content of a finite consciousness such that without them there would not be any finite consciousness at all, what he means is that the content of ultimate consciousness makes a difference to the content of finite consciousness or even to finite consciousness itself. Finite mind has not complete control over its own consciousness. If it is to be conscious of its body, its body must be in its consciousness like any other content. But its consciousness and its body are also in ultimate consciousness as parts within the whole and ultimate consciousness has control over its parts so that they exist in a relation of dependence on the whole and this is the solution of the dilemma we encountered in chapter three in considering the status of the real object of perception if we deny its independence we shall have to admit between the whole and its parts a temporal cleavage fatal to their spatial integrity that is to say the parts for example each ellipsoid will exist in dependence on a partial perception at a time previous to the existence of the combination the whole that is supposing the whole to exist in our consciousness only after we have combined the parts but if the whole exists already combined in the ultimate consciousness which idealism assumes this particular dilemma will not arise we talk about the dependence of mind on body but we now see what the real relation of dependence is it is one that without doing violence to a single fact leaves idealism fairly in possession of the field this is not saying that ultimate consciousness exists only that if it did exist it would provide a reasonable solution of an otherwise hopeless problem for the problem is hopeless for realism too there has been and will be so much unavoidable reiteration in this argument that i will not repeat what i have already said on this score professor alexander is no doubt right when he says quote, if color were as it is alleged to be the work of mind we should have the unintelligible result that a set of vibrations is seen not as a set of vibrations but as color End quote. But supposing a set of vibrations to mean the movement of bodies in the space-time of ultimate consciousness, it will be itself the work of mind. And the mental result, color, will not be unintelligible. If it is, I do not see what realism is to make of its own non-mental vibrations and non-mental color. And I do not see how molecular motions inside the body can set up a sensum in space outside it nor yet supposing the sensum to be there already full-blown and independent how they can cause the mind to be conscious of it and if as professor alexander says the mind is the neural process then it is inside the body and i cannot see how it can be conscious of the sensum outside when the sensum is not the molecular motions and the mind is not conscious of them anyhow you may say the sensory nerve endings are not inside the body they are at the periphery in direct contact with the outside molecules they receive the messages of the sensa, but if the neural processes are the messages or the continuation of the messages in neural terms and the mind is the neural process how on earth is it to know what they stand for what it stands for itself if they stand for anything they stand for it the mind is conscious and the neural processes are not its consciousness they are molecular motions the very thing that consciousness is not and that the sensa are not the realist may say that the same thing applies to the idealist assumption if consciousness and its content are identical if the mind is the sensa how can it know what they stand for the obvious answer to that is they needn't stand for anything but what they are the content of consciousness, what may be behind them, what they conceivably may stand for in ultimate consciousness, is precisely what the mind does not and cannot know again. If the inside neural molecular motions are continuations of the outside molecular motions, why is the mind not continued outside? And if they are not continuations, where is the continuity of the process which begins in matter and ends in mind? Section 3 Being and Being Known But the realist's most frequent reproach against idealism is that it confuses being and being known. He is never tired of showing up the absurdities of this position. He insists rightly that to be and to be known are two very different things and do not come into each other's categories at all that it doesn't make a haperth of difference to being whether it is known or not that quite obviously we cannot know things unless they exist and that they do not exist because we know them but we know them because they exist he points out triumphantly that by far the greater part of the universe is made up of things which are even now not known to say nothing of the vast ages of geologic time before consciousness was born on this planet but as every word he uses in this connection makes clear that he is thinking of our consciousness alone his triumph is no more than the cheap triumph of common sense over the lunacy of solipsism and as nobody takes solipsism a bit more seriously than he does all his dancing and trumpet-blowing and flag-waving is performed upon a corpse his argument may even be turned against itself the universe cannot exist in our consciousness because we are not conscious of the greater part of it then supposing we were conscious of the whole universe supposing there is a consciousness that knows everything everything may exist in that consciousness but the realist goes further he maintains that even if there were such a consciousness the universe would not exist because it knew it his assumption is that to be conscious of a thing is to assert its independent existence to be conscious of the difference between it and consciousness knowing is an external relation between the knower and the thing known here are three distinct statements which the idealist may very well challenge the realist to prove as yet the realist has not brought forward any proof the three statements are supposed to be self-evident or to rest upon a feeling an intuition an assurance given by consciousness itself we have the word of consciousness for it i shall return to these assumptions of realism later on realism again is within its rights when it contends that cosmic processes and processes of thought are radically different there are irrational elements sensa and the relations between sensa which cannot be swept into the net of thought as we have seen by far the greater part of the universe is of this nature evolution does not proceed by a series of jumping syllogisms the cause is not implied in the effect by way of judgment the laws of motion are not the laws of thought when we enlarge our knowledge by experiment and in inductive reasoning we are not creating the content of our knowledge the great generalizations of science are discoveries and not creations in deductive reasoning we only enlarge our knowledge to the extent that we discover a thing to be a particular instance of a universal law or we lay out our general knowledge into its elements which again we have not created but discovered idealism assumes that there are such things as synthetic judgments a priori but if idealism is right and the judgment is really a priori it will be contained in the mind already and there will be no synthesis if it is synthetic it will add something that was not there before which consequently will not be a priori we can only enlarge our experience empirically and empirical knowledge is not creation but discovery not one of these processes bears the remotest resemblance to any process of nature and here again realism scores a partial victory but it is a victory over epistemological idealism only and it is only a partial one to begin with it either ignores all that idealism assumes or it implies that ultimate consciousness works in the same way as finite consciousness that it too acquires knowledge empirically that it reasons judges and infers that it is limited in space and time that it discovers and does not create it does not know the whole universe completely it is not an all-embracing consciousness it is not absolute it is not ultimate it is not any one of the things which idealism supposes it to be we cannot blame realism for this idealism itself betrayed ultimate consciousness when it bestowed on it the logical forms of the only consciousness we know we have to admit that logical idealism is in a dilemma it cannot stand on both legs but even logical idealism had at least one leg to stand on for though thought is not constitutive of the whole universe it is constitutive of a large part of it you cannot conjure away the categories nor to do realism justice does it attempt to conjure them away or to deny their a priori character but it does not regard these elements as a priori for us the real a priori elements space-time and the categories are not created by the mind but discovered we have examined the difficulties which are involved in this view we saw that you cannot take space-time you cannot take the categories apart from mind even from mind as we know it and preserve their character the contradictions which arose from the experiment were solved by restoring mind to its place in the problem we need not go back over this ground there is yet another difficulty the devout idealist in criticizing professor whitehead's concept of nature somewhat confidently stated that it contained a fundamental contradiction somewhere and that a contradiction between nature and its concept is a contradiction within the whole of reality which is nature and thought taken together and it may be objected that this applies equally to the contradictions of finite consciousness which are contradictions within the whole but this is the old problem of the finite perspectives and we found that it was solved by correlating them with the real geometry of ultimate consciousness but since the logical dilemmas of idealism cannot be solved in this way i see no course for idealism but to drop its logics and fall back on the distinction between what i have called the primary block of consciousness and secondary consciousness if it can be shown that this distinction is compatible with a true description of the facts objections which are only damaging to epistemological idealism will not apply there remains the gravest charge of all against idealism that it mixes up the ratio essendi with the ratio cognoscendi that it thinks things are because they are known or rather that it pretends to think so for realists will not admit that you could really think anything so preposterous this is a formidable criticism and it is one that idealists have laid themselves open to by many an ill-considered statement of their position if i say that things are moving in space-time because i perceive them moving i am taking the ratio cognoscendi for the ratio essendi, and i am not giving any account of things moving on the other hand if i say with the realist that i perceive them moving because they are moving i am taking the ratio essendi for the ratio cognoscendi and i am not giving any account of perception but if i say as i have said unminded motion is as unthinkable as any other unminded category because of its discontinuity if i say that consciousness in gathering up all past and present positions and carrying them on into the future preserves the continuity of space-time and saves motion from perishing with its perishing point instance. i am not substituting a law of thought for a law of motion or declaring my consciousness to be the cause of which motion is the effect i am stating the ratio ascendi of the continuum and i am giving an account of the total complex motion and consciousness consciousness is the continuum because without it motion will not conceivably hold together but it is not the continuum because i know it the consciousness that knows in this sense is secondary consciousness or again if i state the ratio cognoscendi thus i perceive things moving because things moving are in my consciousness i am offering a perfectly plausible reason for my perceiving them my statement is only tautological if i refuse as the realist refuses to recognize the distinction between primary and secondary consciousness between having a thing in consciousness being aware of it and being aware of the awareness for by the time that i have begun to talk about my reasons for perceiving things i am aware that i perceive them and this awareness belongs not to the consciousness that contains but to the consciousness that contemplates in this little matter of the ratio realism is only scoring one of its easy victories over solipsism again this time it is clear to the very humblest intelligence that the reason why things exist is not because i perceive them existing and that i couldn't perceive them if they didn't exist but it is a little matter that should be cleared up once for all if realists and idealists are not to go on arguing forever at cross-purposes once for all then the sane idealist is not assigning his perception as a reason for the existence of things or even his existence as a reason though he may allege his belief in his existence as a reason for his belief in the existence of things and when the argument is carried into the region where it is relevant the region of ultimate consciousness even there the realist does not imagine that the universe exists because god knows it he supposes it to exist because the consciousness of god is not merely contemplative but creative it includes his will and the universe is the content and the outcome of that creative consciousness it is a mode of god's existence as well as of his knowledge the case of idealism is not summed up in the simple statement the being of things is to be known that isn't allowing for the causality of God's will. The being of things is to be willed, and their appearance is to be known. End of book two, Chapter Eight, Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine.